right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Filipino American Woman Project, also known as TIFA Project for short. And this is another, oh my gosh, special episode for Filipino American History Month. We didn't really have any plans, honestly, to do anything special, but because we felt the pressure in a loving way, we decided to bring on some incredible people to be on our show this month to really talk about Filipino American History Month. But before we get into that, let me go ahead and introduce our co-host, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back. Hello, everybody. Yeah. And to our listeners, if this conversation sparks anything in you in any way and you want to continue the dialogue with us, just know that you can find all of our contact information on our website, tfawproject.com. That's tfawproject.com. Or of course, we do have a phone number, as you all know. And I think at this point, I have memorized it. So get your phones ready. It is 415-484-8329 or the acronyms at the end, TFA which is TFAW8329. And so again, that's 415-484-8329. We'd love to engage with you. And as I mentioned, you could also find all of our social media links, uh, particularly Instagram. I think, you know, that's kind of where we engage the most, even though we've been setting social media boundaries lately. But check out all that there and also subscribe to our newsletter because that's where we provide the most information and updates. Again, on our website, tfawproject.com. All right, anyway, I knocked out all the announcements. So let's just go ahead and jump into our conversation today. I'm really excited to bring back Stacy and Salinas, because even before you were here, Nani, Stacy actually reached out to me years ago. And we'll talk into the origin story. I'll have Stacy speak on her behalf. I don't want to keep talking about her while she's like literally here. So <laughs> Stacy and Salinas is the historian of the Bulosan Center at UC Davis. Stacy, welcome back to the Filipino American Women Project. We're so happy to have you again. Thanks for having me. Hi, everybody. Yeah, and uh, let's start with you just sharing briefly, because for people who don't know why we love you so much, why don't you just share a little bit about how you found our project and what compelled you to reach out years ago? I was, I think my second, first year of graduate school here at UC Davis, and I wanted to continue helping my community, and I did a silly Google search, and I just like, well, there has to be something that comes up if you put Filipino and women together. And so the first thing that came up, the top five was the Philippine American Woman Project. And then I thought, oh, cool. This founder is also from California. Okay, then I wonder what their background is and story is and what it is I can do to help. Because at the time I was just trying my best to help other organizations as well. Mm-hmm. Because my program was just like, no, stick to your program and do your coursework. And I was like, no, because then I wouldn't be a scholar activist if I did that. So I wanted to spread my time out during my early years of graduate school to see who else in the community I could probably contribute to. So that's how I found you. And then a phone call, which I wasn't expecting because I was so used to the formality of academia that it would just be an email telling me, no, it's okay, we don't need you. So (laughs) I heard those kinds of responses, like, no, it's okay. Um, So I really appreciated that. And so I thought from then on out, it would be a personal type of relationship, especially when I heard your dog barking in the background. I was like, that's good. She brings your dog with her where she goes. So I all, because I did that with Mr. Fox because I had a backpack for him. Um, so, yeah, and so I thought this would be a good working relationship. And then it turned out that um, I just liked that there was something for our generation to find community in, in being Filipina and being here in the States. And I thought the podcast was cool because all my undergrads were telling me to listen to podcasts. And I was like, I don't know what that is. I still listen to the video. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, it was, um, it was, that was probably the origin story of how we met one another through phone 
So I really appreciate that you continue to stick by me and support me because oh. the 30, early 30s is so weird. I don't know. Oh, yeah. It's so weird. It's weird. I don't know. I, I, I'm not saying that in an ungrateful way. It's just a strange rediscovery of oneself. And I like that I can rely on or at least ask another Filipino, how's it going? So. Yeah. Well, I, I'm so happy that you shared that, Stacey. And I didn't realize that my dog barking in the background would have meant something to you. Yeah. My dog has separation anxiety, but in reality, like my family has separation anxiety. We cannot, like, we like literally do everything together. This year during the pandemic, before the pandemic started, we literally hired a trainer to teach our dog how to be home alone. And then the pandemic started and we're like, okay, I guess that's not happening, but we did learn how to reduce his anxiety. So that we, we sort of got our money's worth in doing that. But yeah. And also the fact that you said that you found us on Google, like that is something that I feel very proud of because part of the reason why this project started was because I did a Google search way back when, and I didn't really find a lot of positive things or things that I felt like represented me, you know, online. And even though I don't have kids at the moment, I just imagine for the generations that just kind of are born with a phone in their hand, you know, if they were to search about themselves, like what would they find? And so I like how you also said that our show is kind of like the modern way of exploring like our identity. Because yeah, like I think our generation digests information differently now. I mean, yes, video is obviously important, hence why we do video now for the show, but also the podcasting part, knowing that a lot of us are multi taskers or commute a lot. It's like a great way to digest content and, you know, kind of educate yourself on the go. And so everything that you just said, just thank you so much for saying that. Like you said it in a way that just really validated everything that we've been doing so far in these last couple of years. I want to turn it over to Nani and see if you had any thoughts. Obviously, this took place before I became a part of the project. And I think that, you know, myself included, everyone that listens to this show has probably done a similar Google search about the Filipino American woman, just because how else are you supposed to find any kind of information, whether it's, you know, educational or just entertaining. It's not really represented in mainstream media like that. So I love how far we've come and, you know, connecting people with that and allowing people to explore their identity, like you said, in a modern way. I like that description as well. And I just feel extremely grateful to have joined the project when I did and had the chance to interview you um, multiple times and follow you on Instagram and connect with you in all the other ways that we like to bother you throughout the year. So <laughs> yes, thank you for all you do and all of your contributions specifically to this show and this project. Yeah. With that said, Stacey, you know, part of the reason why we brought you on the show is because you are kind of our unofficial residential historian, <laughs> you know, for the Filipino American Women Project. You are the epitome of what we're trying to do here, really, which is a document like more stories, except you're doing it on an academic level or a higher education academic level. All the, all the big fancy words that, you know, make you sound really important on paper, which you are important, whether you're on paper or not, by the way. So, <laughs> so I want to start with asking the question, considering how it's Filipino American History Month. And also, I want to say thank you for being on our show, because I know that this has been quite a busy month for you with doing speaking engagements. So tell me a little bit about what this month has looked like for you so far, and also what Filipino American History Month means for you. Mm, that's a lot. Okay, well, we'll start with the first one. So how's this month been? <laughs> I tend to do that. I tend to ask like three questions, and like one question. I was already bullet pointing in my head as you were asking the questions. Okay. 
So how has this month been for me? Thank you for the check-in. That's very kind of you. I'm starting to realize how important those are um, in order to slow down and reflect and have peace of mind. So I appreciate that. So, okay, this month, it is the 10th. It's only, we're only a week and a half in. I've had three speaking engagements. Some of them were for grassroots organizations in regards to preserving the an equitable wage for mm. uh, immigrant Filipinx in the U.S. and in the diaspora for PAWIS. And so they try to, their organization is really great. They're international. They try to help Filipinos, Filipinas, Filipinx in the U.S., especially who are suffering from wage theft wow. and exploitation of their labor. And so I spoke there to talk about where the origins of Filipino labor activism came from. And then I spoke at San Francisco virtually because I don't want to die. Sorry. It's <laughs> <So. laughs> <That's> fair. That's <laughs> very fair. <laughs> makes sense. But at the San Francisco company for that my brother works for, GEMS, I think they're a consulting and software firm. And they wanted to know why it's important to vote as people of color. And so I talked about the origin of the vote and how it wasn't made for us. Mm. And where Asian American activism and Asian immigrant activism in the States helped to change that narrative. And then I did one for Amazon, for the Philippine Engineers Amazon, to talk about what is Philippine American History Month and why is it so intertwined with activism. And it's basically in our blood and where the struggle has come to now. And then I have you guys. So thank you for having me again. And then <laughs> the rest of the month is Philippine Human Rights Consul in SF. And then some lectures for other universities. But again, just to highlight Philippine American History Month, but also some of these undergrads, it's their first time to vote. Mm, and so wow. How does the vote mean for them? And so that's something I'm going to be engaging with. And I think I have article deadlines or something. And, and, and She's no. like, at this point, I don't know. <laughs> I'm <laughs> drowning. I need to help because I wish I had more arms, but there's not that many of us in academia, especially Filipinas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when we do, it's, it's very competitive. So I'm also trying to get my exams done this year for my PhD and the dissertation at the same time. So it's just been really hectic and it's always nice to have a space where I know that what it is that I'm doing means something to someone else. Yeah. Yeah. So that's about giving back to the community. You're like the epitome of that right now. And if anyone is curious about how they can, you know, plug into Filipino American History Month, I think that you are setting such a clear and like trailblazing example. Like, I can't believe that you have all of that on your plate right now. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much for saying that. Yeah, we just had a Belosan Center retreat. I've never been to a retreat unless it had something to do with church. So I mean, right. So it it was interesting to see how we're supposed to reevaluate and take time for ourselves individually and collectively. Mm. I am not familiar with that because I'm so used to the Asian immigrant model where it's just go 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 go. So yeah. if, if you keep up, it's because you weren't apt to do it in the first place because our parents didn't complain. So right. why are you taking breaks for yourself? And so it actually was really a, a moment where. All of us in the community, because we're all grad students and we're all, we all come from immigrant family backgrounds. It's just, I didn't realize how much I was doing. And even if I did, I would always tell myself, no, you have to do more. Mm. But that's a model, I guess, the second and third and fourth generations have to break, you know, yeah. and respect that our parents and grandparents did that. And so thank you for telling me that was a lot because I, I have to sit back and remind myself sometimes that it is a lot. So yeah. all the kids who want to go to graduate school or want to do higher learning, yeah, that's something we'll have to learn together or the hard way I guess is that we need to 
bullet point everything that we're doing and learn to take breaks because yeah. the activism thing is the same thing and studying Filipino American activism is it's all the same they didn't take breaks and so you, we can see why our communities burn out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah burnout is definitely real yeah, I, I also just want to acknowledge and appreciate that you are receiving in a way like how we acknowledge that you are working a lot and you've done a lot. And I feel like even since our first conversation, I remember you were saying like, oh, school's a lot. Like it's, just, it's a lot. I have a lot of stuff to do, you know, and obviously that drive is still there. And I appreciate you kind of giving that little backstory of like, yeah, you know, this is kind of the burden of the second generation of Filipinos or, or second generation to immigrant parents, because, you know, if they didn't rest, like, why should we rest? And I just feel like something about this generation or this time in history where people are really valuing their mental health now and they're understanding the importance of, you know, slowing down to speed up. But, you know, I I do want to just you know, just say how much I admire like your drive and your work ethic. And also like, more importantly, like just your sense of responsibility to show up and to continue to educate. I think part of like, you know, as hard as this time has been with the pandemic, I have been like, when people, when people ask me, like, like, I work all the time. And people ask me, like, what do you do for fun? I was like, I work. And they're like, well, anything else? I was like, well, I like what I do, you know? It, to me, with everything that I do, it comes with this sense of responsibility and, and maybe a little anxiety of like, if I do rest, like what will happen? Or like, how much time do we really have left, you know? And so, but anyway, just being able to acknowledge like that drive and that sense of responsibility. And, and I know that what it does is it honors our ancestors and it honors the generations that are going to come after us because we're doing, you know, all of this hard work. And hopefully, you know, in taking some breaks in, you know, finding time to rest, we can teach the future generations to do the same because they're allowed to, you know, so like it is important that, you know, you, you shouldn't always put a mission above your own needs, you know, in order to accomplish that mission, you have to put your needs first as well, you know, so it's just kind of being reminded of that and everything. So thank you for, you know, really sharing that and even just kind of like the reason why, the reason why you are in a sense a workaholic. <laughs> I am, I am. I'm, I'm <laughs> on the schedule right now. Because it's in front of me. So, yes, I am. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of activism and, you know, this month, this is an interesting theme this month, as we know, documented or according to the Filipino American History National Society Fonds, they have themed this month or deemed themed, I don't know, deemed this month as, you know, Filipino American history of activism. And so what Nani and I did actually in our last conversation for our bonus episode, I think is episode 72 now, we, wow, 72, that's a lot of episodes. <laughs> but we like read through the Fonz website. We're like, this is what, you know, Filipino American history is about. Here's the theme. And here's what you need to know about it. And here's what you should be doing. And so I kind of wanted to get your initial thoughts of, you know, what does this theme mean to you? And sort of my initial take on it is that like, just what you were talking in, in your intros that, you know, activism is in our blood, you know, so what does it mean to you that we've dedicated a month to that theme of activism? <sighs> They're all heavy questions, or maybe I just see everything that we do as very heavy. What does it mean to me? I don't know. I just, you know, I was born in 89, and my parents came over through nursing. That was their way or their entry here. And mm-hmm. so growing up in the Bay Area, I was lucky and fortunate enough to grow up in an Asian-American dominant community and other refugee and immigrant kids as well. And the sad part was our teachers were very liberal. In a sense, I know they were all hippies in their past life, 
I know they were. <laughs> um, just because of their demeanor and how kind they were to us. But we didn't have any social studies on Asian Americans. The, when you see them in textbooks, and I also worked and volunteered for kids who have uh, special reading needs, I saw that the textbooks they had for social studies were the same textbooks that I had in Daily City. And I thought that's a, that's ridiculous. Mm. And it reminded me, because I was teaching them the Constitution, that we're not in here again. Like I, I had to revisit that book because it was the same physical book I had growing up that there are no Asian immigrants, there's no Asian Americans. And when you see us in there, it's East Asian heritage and they only leave them room during the gold rush. Hmm. And that after that, they disappear and then they pop up again with the Japanese Americans interned during World War II. And then I thought, that doesn't make any sense. It reminded me again that that doesn't make any sense. And so when I hear Philippine American History Month and just Fonds being an entity, a reference to fall back on in regards to preservation for Philippine American heritage and history. I just think it's crazy that we didn't have this month to celebrate before. Yeah. I mean, Filipinos have been here since, was it like 1521, 1585, the Manila Men and Morro Bay Landing. And to think that the towns that they set up prior to the United States becoming a country, a sovereign nation, it was because they wanted to escape persecution and enslavement and being at the, you know, the fascist hands of Spanish colonialism. They wanted to leave that and escape, and they did by making their own little Manila in the Bayou of Louisiana. So to me, I'm thinking activism is always at the heart of everything that needs to be Filipino on American soil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Nani and I were talking about this last week, but, you know, we didn't realize that Filipino American History Month itself is really young. It became an official month back in 2009. And so to think that it is such a baby, (laughs) you know, celebration. I mean, I was still in college in 2009. I don't even know why I didn't know about it now that I think about it. But yeah, like 2009. And so it's quite fascinating, like how young it really is. Yeah. I mean, I just learned that it was a thing. I think when we first started doing this podcast, I was never really brought privy to it or, you know, it's just not celebrated. So I think that having platforms like this or even just like the community that we've built on Instagram really makes all that difference in, you know, providing that representation or, you know, just educating people. So, yeah. And Stacey, I also just want to point out, like, I know you've been so like with your head buried in academia for so long. And I just want to really admire like the way that you kind of interpret what you learn, like in your own way, rather than just absorbing information, you know, because we talk a lot about how there's been a history of an American version of education installed even in the Philippines, whether you're learning about Filipino history here or over there. And a lot of people, I think, have a skewed interpretation of what has actually gone down. And maybe that's the disconnect in understanding how activism is in our blood, because the way that you just explained it makes so much sense. And, you know, it it really ties it home, at least for me, on why this theme of activism this month is really important for us to learn about and carry forward. Yeah, American education is a, a scary thing, regardless at what level you want to pursue. I mean, I'm I'm preparing for my exams and I'm trying to incorporate Filipino American history into them as well because we in cultural studies you have to be very interdisciplinary mm. and so relearning again about just how destructive an American education is because the American the education that my parents received in PI 
was American-based. They were still learning from mm-hmm. the American model, which means that their history books begin in 1906, 1903, which is when the U.S. officially claimed PI. And so that was what they knew. They didn't know anything prior to 1900, except for some of the glorified martyrs that right. came up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when re-teaching uh, Philippine-American history month again, I have to also uh, explain that educational system in the Philippines during that same time period, early 1900s, they use that same model, the colonial model, imperialist model that they did on Native American indigenous peoples. Mm. The purpose of the American educational system and it as an institution was to erase heritage right. and history and to implement whiteness as the center of everything that is meaningful in a globalized sense. So it's really disgusting in the same way because I'm learning in an American model. The UC was built on Native and indigenous lands specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a land grant school. And so I'm thinking, ah, there's so many moments where I'm complicit in this colonial model of control and conquer. And then I think, okay, activism again, this month it's reminding me, like, how are we going to refuse that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like you're stuck in like a spider web, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So activism is the way to challenge, you know, the ivory tower. It's just another colonial tool that's just survived this long. Yeah. And that's, I think, what's at the heart of activism, too, is taking what you learn in these colonial like systems that we're all caught up in and inevitably are complicit in, you know, whether we want to be or not and being able to, you know, tie it into back then, we didn't have documentation of regular Mm -hmm. people's everyday stories like this podcast or any of mm-hmm. the other podcasts that exist now or pages online, websites, et cetera, they didn't have that kind of documentation. So it's like being able to make those connections without those records of history, it takes a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's very destructive for our community because if we think about it, if we do want those primary resources, those oral histories, or just the documentation of American colonialism, you have to go into the archives. And the only way you can get into the archives is to be a scholar and that mm-hmm. all requires me. And so those are all the ways in which the system tries to keep us out because we don't have the privilege and we don't have intergenerational wealth and we don't have whiteness to help us get into those institutions. And so my entire academic career has just reinforced me in a sense to look in the mirror and realize, yes, I am Filipina mm. and I come from a immigrant family and they won't let us in. And so what do we do? We have to challenge the system by working within. So, mm-hmm. Beautifully said. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. You know, I feel like I, I kind of want to n- not to like negate like like that. This is very important, but I want to lighten the mood, and I want to talk about empowerment. You know, like like we are where we are. Like this is where we're at right now, and everything that you said, I'm not going to repeat it because it's beautifully said. So I'm not going to butcher it by trying to rephrase what you said. Instead, let's go ahead and talk about where do we go from here? You know, and Stacey, you had mentioned early on that your hands are full, you know, you know, you have, you wish you had more hands, you wish you had more help. And so maybe we should, you know, maybe use the rest of this conversation to talk about how can people get involved? How can people make a difference? And so currently in your, in your circle, like what has that looked like for you? You know, or what have you done or put out there to encourage people to get more involved and, you know, learn more about history or, you know, really just, you know, incorporate more activism in their life. It's so funny you just said that I got a notification from someone on Instagram who loves the Below Sun Center and they are telling me thank you for the well wishes I gave them. And that Love they're, it. They're best. I know I just saw it in the corner of my eye. So then that, that was the godsend. So what we do is we work for the Below Sun Center, which is the first grassroots and research center uh, dedicated to Philippinex studies. 
and what some of my colleagues are doing and they're wonderful colleagues. They're wonderful. We're all graduate students trying to make it and second generation Philippinex. But what we're trying to do is to provide research outlets and data and education curriculum and, and archiving as well to the general public and to other Philippinex scholars in the U.S. and abroad so that we can share and collaborate in regards to preserving and making knowledge for those who wish to learn more about their history and their heritage and what the current issues are right now that the Philippinex in the larger diaspora and domestic are facing. Mm -hmm. That's one way, get involved in the scholar activist type of route. And then there's other ways too, which is what you guys are doing, which is providing a public outlet that is readily available to not just students, but to general audiences so that they recognize that they have enough of a identity and incentive that there's a podcast that will represent them. So there are more fun ways to absorb this type of information and to find a collective way in which to engage with their identity and history. So there's also that opportunity, but also just taking on the initiative to read and learn is another thing. So whether it's reading Filipina poetry, which is what I do on my downtime, or watching Filipino movies with the subtitles on if you don't have the opportunity to learn Tagalog or Elephant. Mm. And also just, I didn't realize how powerful YouTube was for a lot of Filipino kids or Filipinx kids. Uh, seeing other what other people like them that look like them on YouTube, even from doing makeup tutorials to just talking about history all day, every day, you know, those, or vlogging. I, oh my God, vlogging is a thing. So, you know, just finding those outlets where you can see yourself on a screen or you can hear someone who sounds like you as a second generation, third or fourth generation person or first generation, that makes a huge difference. And it's the same thing in academia. If you can just find someone, it's a blessing to find someone who looks like you or who speaks like you or has the same background as you. Because Dr. Rodriguez, God bless her heart. I didn't think I'd ever meet a Filipino scholar. Mm. I didn't meet Filipino teachers except for one. And he was a wonderful algebra teacher. Mr. Mariano, I don't know. I know you're retired. But uh, if you're out there, I really appreciate you helping us solve for X. But I mean, you know, those moments, they really help you want to become more engaged because sometimes we're too embarrassed to ask our parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know I would. Yeah, we're just too embarrassed to ask them because we don't talk about it. Because for some reason, you know, thinking about the homeland or your immigrant status, there's some sort of shame, right. which again is colonial intended. Right. And so if you don't have the heart to do that, then you have the heart to go on YouTube and Google. It's the first way that you engage. But I think, you know, telling yourself that you're Filipinized first and foremost is important. And that will open the door to you wanting to learn more. Powerful. Nani, I saw you taking notes, but also I just want to acknowledge you again, Nani, because I know that a lot of this year you have dedicated a lot of your time to studying more about our history and everything. And so I thought I'd check in with you too and um, get your thoughts on what Stacy said and, and what you're doing to you educate know. yourself. Yeah, no, I was just thinking as Stacy was talking that, you know, people, I feel like in this moment, especially feel really charged and really motivated to like do something or contribute or make a change and they think it's supposed to be this like big act of service and you know there are certainly ways that you can do that and if you feel like taking on that kind of responsibility then of course I would encourage you to join grassroots organizations or you know sign petitions like you can 
definitely get your hands dirty, especially in this moment. But for people who that may seem like too big of a commitment or just too far out of their comfort zone, it really just starts with thinking about how you identify and what that means to you. And at the very least, whether it's through academia, whether it's through vlogging on YouTube, podcasting, just documenting our stories. You know, we talk all the time about how, you know, in pre-colonial times, there's no documentation or no record of our experiences. And so that's the first way that you fight the system is you start documenting your experience or you look to someone who inspires you or motivates you or is doing something that you would like to be doing and start documenting your thoughts on their experience. You know, it's, I think it all really starts with raising that awareness within ourselves and then spreading that awareness around to our community. And once that becomes normalized, then our community gets used to or gets comfortable taking up space in the world. And we show that to other communities. And that's how we make you know, a home for ourselves, or that's how we find belonging in this world. And that in itself is, I think, the most simple and basic form of activism. And, you know, there's no prerequisite to do that. Yeah, beautifully said. Um, Stacey, I just want to see if you had any thoughts on that before I jump in, because you know how talkative I can be. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things that both of you had said that uh, kind of stood out to me. I was like taking notes down here, in case you're wondering why I keep looking down. I like how you said, Stacy, that it's a blessing when you run into people that look like you. I think that it's very often, and I'll share this, I'll, I'll be very candid with this. Ever since I moved out to the East Coast, like living in Virginia Beach, my husband and I pretty much live in a white community. My husband's white. And yeah, I mean, pretty much everyone, I mean, we're in a beach town, you know, it's, it's just one of those kind of communities. And all you see are like white people like walking around left and right. However, you know, Virginia Beach is also known as a military town. You know, you have like all branches here. Therefore, there is also a huge Filipino community out here. And I've lived out here for about a year and a half now. And in a weird way, I, I told myself, I was like, I'm not in a rush to find Filipinos because I know once I find them, I will find like all of them. And that's part of, you know, admittingly, that is part of the shame that I carried, you know, just coming out here and, and feeling like I wanted to start anew and stuff like that. And uh, really try to immerse myself in the work that I'm doing with what I do with my husband. And a lot of what we do is primarily work with, you know, like the white community in that sense. And so in a way, I think maybe for me, it, it's probably trying to find that balance between being American and Filipino. You know, because it's not one or the other, it's it's both and trying to find that balance. Well, the good news is that we have a, a local listener here. <laughs> so I want to give a shout out to Leah. Her Instagram handle is rise and shine 757. 757 is the area code here for your phone, in case anyone's curious. And she actually was listening to the podcast and she found out that I lived here. So not only did she reach out to me, because I knew this was going to happen. I was like, if I, if I find one, I find all. <laughs> so, so we, you know, we ended up connecting and we actually like met up for coffee. We had a, a coffee work date the other day with mask on. It was social distance friendly and stuff like that. Cause I I've been like missing San Diego and I kind of miss working at coffee shops and now that the fall weather here is, it feels very much like California weather. I've been dying to go out and kind of experience that. But anyway, the cool thing with Leah is that she actually introduced me to a local photographer who is Filipina. And for this month, we're actually all getting together with the other Panais to do a photo shoot to celebrate Filipino American History Month. And I just, I just knew it was a matter of time that I was going to run into <laughs> like other people here. You're going to find um, I think, people, yes. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah. And, and uh, I mean, I, you know, and, and it's crazy too, because there's actually a Filipino cultural center here that like I recently, that we found like a couple of weeks ago, like my husband and I were like kind of driving by. I was like, oh my God, it's a Filipino center. And I took a picture and everything. I sent it to my family. I was like, look, there's Filipinos out here. But I think what I'm trying to say is that like, you know, the shame, I even carry that shame still. You know, and I even try to set my own boundaries with how much Filipino am I going to be within a day, you know, and how much time I'm going to invest being around Filipinos versus like my white counterparts. And I'm going to say that that's okay, because I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm still trying to find my place in this world. And and I'm still trying to show up as the best version of myself. And I want I want other people who maybe feel for whatever reason, more comfortable in our white community to understand that, like, I know why you're there. I get why you're there. You can be here too. You know, when you're when you're ready to be a part of this, <laughs> this colored group of women, we're here for you. And that's what our show is for. So I wanted, I just wanted to add that because now that I have that, and I was telling, I was telling Leah because I'm gonna have to tell Leah that I talked about her in this episode. She will know now I'm talking about her. I usually make this joke that people will never listen to me talking about them, but this is one of those. But anyway, so she wanted to meet up and I was like, like I haven't like this whole time I try to like avoid people, right? Just like you, Stacey, I'll just stay at home because I don't want to die. But I told her, I was like, I will meet up with you because you're Filipina. I was like, I need more Filipinas in the East Coast. I need my Panay. <laughs> I need my Panay girls out here. Okay. I need that. Cause that's all I've been like missing, you know, in California a lot lately is just that connection and that mutual understanding that yeah. we're Panay. We have immigrant parents. Like I get you. Like I get that the hustle that community. you're trying to do. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So shout out to Leah, Rise and Shine 757. I will notify her that I talked about her. So there was that, uh, just finding <laughs> that blessing and, and finding people that look like you, because it, it, it's like a relief. You know, it's, it, it's just nice to know that like, I'm not the only one going through this. I'm not the only one that carries the shame or that feels like I have to hide in my whiteness. Um, like, I mean, I'm not even white. So it's like, it's, I mean, my voice, I guess is kind of it. But you know, just just feeling like that need to do that and having a safe space like this to unpack that and realize that I'm not the only person doing that. And I'm really grateful for that. And also really grateful to have you here, Stacey, to really unpack that from like a historical perspective. Anytime, anytime. We're always dealing with whiteness and how we can actually can't ever get that first class citizenship. And it's very detrimental to a, a woman of color's self-esteem. Mm-hmm. is that we long for our community but at the same time we're ashamed to have that longing and that a lot of that has to do with how we are raising the American institution or multiple institutions in which we are not allowed to be there in the first place so mm. it's, always, it's good to always tell yourself that you do need your community and that it is good that you feel happy and comfortable with people who look like you and recognize you I was just telling my husband the other day, um, because I was making this joke to him. I was like, I need friends. And then the other day I was like, oh my God. And he was like, what's going on? I was like, I have so many friends messaging me right now. Yeah, I was like, I have too many friends. Like literally like one day I had like 100 messages from like my Panay friends. And I was like, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I have so many people in my life right now and I absolutely love it. I'm so popular. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I wouldn't put it that way. You know, I I, I took the time to invest in my relationships. How about that? You know, it's like popularity doesn't, you don't like acquire it. Like you work for it. Right. And so I think I'm popular in a healthy way because I worked really hard for it and I intentionally sought out those associations. Yeah. Okay. And it's a healing (laughs) association, not a toxic one like popularity usually is. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I think this is a really important question to ask because we really, you know, we covered a lot about the history, we covered about a lot about like showing up today um, and shame and everything. And so not to sound threatening, but the question that I have for all of us really is what is the cost 
if we choose not to learn our history, if we choose to continue to carry that shame and try to hide in our whiteness, you know, try to support you know, colonial colonization and everything. Like what is the long term or short term or just cost? What would be the cost if someone is listening to this and they decided to turn away? They're like, nope, I'm comfortable in my whiteness. I'm comfortable being an American and I'm going to stick with that. You know, that's always really hard. I do also have the opportunity to teach undergrads and kids who are of mixed heritage. Mm. And, you know, sometimes that internalized struggle is just colonialism repeating itself all over again. Right, in a really, in a really sad and toxic way for a lot of them, right? Because they really want to long, they really want to accept their longing to be part of an Asian American or Asian immigrant community. But at the same time, they know that their whiteness is holding them back. There's also the instances where you have the Filipino, Filipinex kid, right, who grew up in a white suburbia, and then so what do they do with that? And then their parents don't reinforce their culture and heritage, and so they feel awful, right? Yeah. And they college, if they're lucky enough and blessed enough to have a college education. They get to that point where Asian American studies is available, but in the classroom itself, they feel isolated. And so those are the things I want people to avoid. It's like, how can we prevent the youth, minority youth, how can we prevent them from feeling this way about themselves? It's so toxic mm-hmm. and that it hurts them. And they don't know how to, they don't know the language as to what it is that's hurting them, right? So that's one thing I want to avoid. I want children and youth to have the cultural self-esteem to find representation and that they have the power to influence that representation, and that they can find a way to communicate with their family that they also belong with them as well. That there isn't a separate public life, school life, and home life. Mm. All those should be involved in culture and heritage and history. They shouldn't have to feel as if they have to pick and choose. So that's one of the things I really like about education and doing history is that I can give you the tools, I can give you history so that you can feel that inch closer, even a centimeter closer, millimeter closer, to what it is that you're feeling so uncomfortable about. If I can help you get past that, first threshold. I want to do that for you because I know what that's like. Even if, I, even though I grew up in an Asian immigrant community, we weren't taught anything about Asian American history. I was surrounded by kids of color all the time, but we were made to feel once we got into college or even just at the high school level. Why is it that we're competing mm-hmm. with another? Everyone else outside of our community sees us as Asian. Why are we competing for grades? Why are we competing for <clears throat> attention and scholarships? Like why? Because we're, we feel like we have to fight to be there. Exactly. And that has to do with us having to fight against whiteness and the fact that we will never at this moment receive or be seen as first class citizens. Um, And so, again, education is key in order to get rid of that toxic self-doubt and self-hate that we don't want to talk about. Mm. And Mm -hmm. especially with youth, who's going to help them if their teachers can't, right? If their family, they themselves don't have the language to do so because they felt shame for being an immigrant or being people of color, or even that they don't even have the tools because they're working all the time, right? Right. Those are the things I want to alleviate. And then also another reason why it's important to maintain heritage and history. Even if we look at the Philippinex diaspora, we all come from different regions of the Philippines. We all have different ethnic and language groups, which are dying out in themselves. We all have moments where our indigenous and native heritage is being thrown out the wayside because of colonialism. Like in where my, my mother is from in the mountains, the Cordilleras in the northern part of Luzon, they are still mining those areas. And so that's mm. removing cultural landscapes that's removing cultural heritage sites and so when that is gone if they continue killing activists in that region just for silly things that we don't necessarily need like silver Mm. or other minerals because the philippines is so mineral deposit rich which is why the spaniards and the americans wanted to go there you know and it's their entry into the pacific to colonize the pacific once we lose that 
once we lose those scholars and those activists who are protecting those sites, I mean, it's going to be cut short within a generation, we'll lose our heritage and our bridges to the homeland. And then so then what? That hurts us. That hurts us because then we'll be completely immersed in this idea that no, we're just American. Mm. It hurts because America wasn't built for us. So we, we fall into this mainstream idea that, oh, being American is good, independent liberalism. You know, we can look at ourselves and celebrate ourselves rather than the collective, which is what a lot of Asian immigrant groups are known as for doing. Like you're, it's just a collective, you know, they can't see themselves as robots, right? Those are a lot of stereotypes. But in actuality, we do need to look out for the collective. And once those heritage sites and those cultural and ethnic and language groups are gone because of colonization and neoliberalism and capitalism, once that's gone, what are we left with? We're left with an empty vessel that doesn't know what they are. And that's yeah. just as dangerous. And it's also, an, you know, I, I get upset because when I hear other Filipinos saying, ah, whatever, you don't really need to know your history. You're an American now. What's the point? Right? You're an American. I always remember what my mom said <clears throat> when we would get into fights. Because <laughs> my American side would like lash out like, nah. no, I want to be independent. Don't tell me what to do. If I didn't challenge her, I wouldn't be in grad school. Mm-hmm. Right? But she always told me, when I would talk back, the moments I would talk back, and I, you know, immigrant family, I, that's bad. You don't do that. But the moment I would talk back, she would say, you don't forget, you are Filipino first mm. before you are American. And that will always stick with me. So whenever I hear that question come up, like, well, why do you need to care about heritage and history? Like, you're just doing your thing. We're here to work and live. It's like, no, because then I'll lose, I'll lose my mother, basically. I'll lose my family and I'll lose the heritage sites and the cultural representation that we have. So that's like a long history, hundreds of years of Filipinos fighting for their independence and sovereignty, just not to just have an independent nation or a region like the Ilocos, like what Gabriela Silong did. She just wanted to protect the Ilocanos, mm. right? And she knew in the long run that meant protecting the other people in the Philippine archipelago. I just want to protect my heritage and history. And I know what the long run re- ramifications are if I don't do that. And so that's the scary part. We'll just become a blob that's pretending to be white. Mm. Scariest part is that colonialism won, even though the Philippines gained their independence, but it was a false independence then if we lose our heritage and history. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that that was a great soundbite, Stacy, And I think that that should be the title of this episode, You Are Filipino First, because I think that sums up everything that you just said really, really nicely. And I love that your mom, you know, told you that to the point where it stuck with you on such a deep level. I feel like in my own family, there are certain family members who I feel like I have talked to until I'm blue in the face trying to get them to understand, you know, the issues that we've faced historically, the issues that we're facing today, both in the Philippines and here in America. And at the end of the day, I'm still always met with the question or at least with the attitude of why should I care? You know, like, how does this affect me? And the true cost is the erasure of our freaking culture, you know, and people that have come over here and believe that not really relevant or important to learn about Filipino history because they're American now is one way to look at it. But then if you take a look at all of those people, you probably notice a common theme of that exact internal struggle that you were talking about when you come from a mixed heritage or, you know, whether you're mixed or not, you're living in America and you have Filipino culture in your heart, in your home, in your family. And that internal struggle is real. You know, from my 
just personal experience, I can speak to that. And it's not a fun life to live to feel like you're constantly suffering in isolation, Mm -hmm. you know, that there's nobody that understands you or that you develop such a toxic relationship with yourself. You know, your internal dialogue is just constantly putting yourself down. You don't feel worthy. You don't feel like you deserve to feel worthy. And without kind of spreading that without sharing that experience and shedding light on it with others, you can't get yourself out of that place. It's just this like feedback loop that you're stuck in. So on a personal level, I think that's the cost, your mental health and always feeling the need to seek external validation in places, in these systems and institutions that, like you said, were not built for us and are not meant for us to succeed in. And so we have to kind of get smart and think outside the box a little bit about how we can come together as a collective, really honoring our Filipino hearts and help each other out of that or create space for each other. And part of that, again, is really documenting our stories and documenting the stories that we've learned from our elders or from other people's elders or wherever we learn stories from that aren't already documented, document them. I think that that's how we start to pull ourselves out of that. But yeah, otherwise it's the erasure of our culture and it's our mental health ultimately. Also the ultimate cause besides erasure of our culture our mental health is also continuing to pass that trauma down through our families, Mm. future generations. And so we can either pass healing down to them or we can pass our trauma or we can continue to pass our trauma because that's what's ultimately been done to us. And so we want to end that cycle. (laughs) Wow. That is so true. Like what else is the cause? You're handing down trauma. You know, you absolutely are. Wow. Yeah. Wonderful. This is beautiful. Thank you both for, you know, just kind of taking the time, you know, to kind of talk about like, where do we go from here? I want to talk about our hopes. Let's wrap up on a a very positive light note. And what do we hope? Like, let's say that we're going to have this conversation. Let's think of a future. Like imagine a future, like if if there's an ideal future for us and and, and this, this is a good, I can start this with uh, you, Stacey, if you don't mind. Like if there was an ideal future for Filipino Americans, what would that look like for you? Like, to, what, like if you were to finally feel like you've accomplished your mission as a feminist activist historian, what would that look like? Oh my goodness. I know. You know, the thing with the civil rights movement and the Asian American movement and how Philippinex were in that struggle too, in the long haul. Mm-hmm. We see what's happening today. It's, we never really achieved abolition. We never really achieved true freedom and independence because Otherwise, we wouldn't be experiencing what we're all going through today, especially the Black community, the African-American and Black community. And so when I think and I try to imagine, because imagine is actually a strong word in interdisciplinary cultural studies um, speak, right? Because abolition means that we're not, we're throwing out the systems of oppression that exist. And then so what are you left with? Well, we have to consider that as scholar activists. What is it that we want? And what Mm. do we think best for the greater good? And so when I think of me finally accomplishing my goal, especially as a Filipina in America, it's probably, I don't know, if a young Filipina is able to actually look in the mirror and not critique herself mm. because she has the, the tools, the education, the curriculum, the cultural self-esteem that's been implemented and grounded in her from kindergarten up, right, which is what ethnic studies is supposed to do. And Newsom vetoed that, right? If, if my job actually set out what it was supposed to do, if I actually accomplish it, then that girl won't feel 
the same type of self-doubt and critiques that I did going into a white man's world. Mm-hmm. You know, she'll be like Kamala Harris and say, I'm talking. And they'll actually stop talking and listen to her and not see her as a submissive Asian woman, brown woman of color, mm-hmm. right? She'll actually have the confidence, not only culturally and heritage, but also in history, but in regards just to how she perceives herself. I think that would be the world I would imagine where she has, she has ample opportunity to look at herself in the mirror and not shy away from it. Because for a long time, even the simple things like looking in the mirror, I couldn't do it. Mm. Why? Why is that? Just because in the Philippines, when my parents are watching TFC and GMA news, everyone is mestiza, light skin, mm. right? Mm. I know as are on all the time. They look amazing, right? And it's this false idea as to what needs to be Filipina. It's an imperialist model as to what Americans want in the Filipina. And then we come to the States and are born and raised here. And we don't have any like real Asian American representation in Hollywood. They've been oppressed in that sense and pushed down. So we get a generic model of the Asian immigrant, Asian American woman. And so like, what, what do we do then? I just want to be able to teach so that other kids don't feel ashamed to even just look, wake up in the morning and look at themselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's the um, world I see. Yeah. I just want to piggyback on that, tying in with everything that Stacy just said. You know, again, I feel like a broken record. I can't say enough how much representation really matters. And I also touched on this in the last episode or in episode 71 or whatever was our bonus episode, Jen, uh, that we last recorded. 72. 72. <laughs> my bad. My bad. I, only just because it came out. That's how I know. Like, otherwise, oh, I would have like been. Okay. I'm not that was, smart. It was one of those, you guys would have figured it out. But I basically was talking a little bit about how my hope for our community's future would be to pull inspiration from the Black community and to Mm. look at what's going on. You know, today, it may not feel like, for them at least, that they've made a lot of progress because they're in this really tight struggle right now, uh, specifically. But I've been on Netflix, obviously, throughout this whole quarantine, and I love how they're uploading all these old shows that I used to watch as a kid. Girlfriends, Sister, Sister, The Parkers, One on One, all of these like shows from the 90s that I used to watch as a kid. And I'm like, re-watching them now as an adult is obviously just such a completely different experience. And mm-hmm. it, they're just so relevant to what's going on today. And I'm like, wow, if only we had this kind of, you know, there is, if you type in Filipino on Netflix, you'll find some movies and I don't know if there's any TV shows. I'm sure there are, but there's a small group. But if we had that kind of like mass representation on cable TV, when I was, you know, eight through 15, and I was able to to watch my own people going through things like this and dealing with it with each other in the form of like a, a sitcom or a reality show that was specifically, you know, Filipina produced or Filipinex produced. I just can't help but think how that would have played such a role in the development of my own self-image and the quality of my self-image, you know, just like everything Stacy was just saying, it's just so important to have that representation, not only on a personal level, but on a historical and a cultural level to feel really comfortable in your own skin and confident in who you are, which then essentially leads to you showing, you know, whatever your unique gift is to the world and giving back to your community and however you choose to plug in after you reach that place of like, you know, self-love, I guess I could say. And I think that that is something that 
at least the Filipinas that I know all really struggle with today. And my hope for our future would be that kind of widespread just record of who we are and what we go through and how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful, both of you. And, and Stacey, I really loved how you said like, you know, if a Filipina can look at herself in the mirror and not critique herself, you know, then I feel like I've done my job. And I love that. I, I absolutely love that because I, you know, even now, even now as I've gained the COVID-19, as many of us have had at this time, it's like I'm critiquing my weight, you know, and I'm like, well, come on, it's a pandemic. Of course, I'm going to eat a lot, right? And so it's, it is what it is. I'm okay with it. No one can tell. I'm wearing loose clothes. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think just having, you know, just having that self-love, I think ultimately is what you both are saying that I'm gathering. And, you know, I think my hope is, is that same thing too, you know, is that self-love? It's already there. It's not a question. It's not that you're, it's, it, you're not like acting out of anger or acting out of, of the need to prove yourself. You're, you just have it. Like you just have it and you, and, and everything. And, and one thing that, you know, so shout out again to Leah. So, you know, part of this group, this photo shoot that we're going to do at the end of this month, I'm just part of like this group chat on Instagram and like, like, I just love this group because they're just like, like I looked at all the profiles. They're all super awesome. Like in this group, they all have like established themselves in their own way. And all I see in this group chat is just love. They're like, you go girl. Like, yes, Queens, like all that stuff. And I'm just like, I want, like, I want that to be my future where it's like, I mean, which is, which is what it feels like today. And, and I hope to continue to sustain that is to just like, just have it be normal that you have girlfriends like rooting for you and, and, and just people rooting for you, I think in general and rooting for each other and not having that, you know, I guess some people would call it like the ca capitalistic mindset of competing and comparing, you know, against one another. And so just being able to understand that there is value in being a part of a collective. There is value in collaboration. And, you know, I also hope that we have more podcasters one day. I hope to, I hope to be a guest on other Panay's podcast shows or other, other Philippine X podcast shows. So just, you know, putting that out there for anyone that has a podcast <laughs> show, if we haven't interviewed you on our show already. But yeah, you know, just to have more of us like talking more and, and just like what, you know, collectively, I think what we're all saying is more representation because it truly is important. It's so needed. And yeah, and I'm here for it. So Wow. Well, I feel like we had such an incredible conversation today, ladies. Before we go, I just want to see if, Stacey, you had any other closing thoughts in celebration of Filipino American History Month. Mm, please go vote. <laughs> you know, just remember, it's not that long ago when we couldn't even fill in Filipino on the ballot in regards to the survey uh, mm. and representation in our own county and community. That means a lot. Also, even if you're embarrassed, you know, you ask your parents what it is that they went through. When you ask them what does it mean to be Filipino or for Filipinx, just do it with an open heart because they came from a completely different cultural and social background. And some of them came out of the Marcos regime. And so they don't see value in their voice because it's been suppressed for so long mm -hmm. under different imperialist colonial regimes, but also amongst their own people. And so when you want to learn about history, go in with it first with your family and community and do it with an open heart and recognize your privileges and ask those questions because it will make you humble but it will also make you want to learn more so that's my that's my goodbye i guess to the tea house yes. yeah beautiful i think i don't know if it was like a little choppy for me but basically what i gathered is first of all go vote because do it <laughs> and and you mentioned that it's not very long ago that you know you can kind of bubble in filipino in the demographic section. And so that's, that's what I gathered um, from what you were saying. And then the last part was pretty clear. So I just want to make sure I mentioned that in case people didn't catch that. Nani, any closing thoughts from you? 
<laughs> yes, go vote because voting is a privilege and mm. never forget that. And vote your interests more specifically. We're not going to tell you who to vote for, obviously, or what to vote for, but vote your interests. All right. Well, Oh my gosh, I, you know, it's so funny because, you know, Nani and I have found, I think we get our best episodes from just kind of being candid and showing up without an agenda. So Stacey, thank you again so much for being on our show and for supporting our project. I know it's mutual. We love supporting you as well. So if there's anything that you want to continue to promote to our community, you're always more than welcome to send it our way. Since we do have a newsletter, you know, part of the newsletter, in case our listeners are wondering, is that we want to make that a collaborative effort to provide resources and more stories and education for our community. And so if you're interested in that, you know, feel free to reach out to us, check out our website, tfawproject.com to learn how to get involved or reach out to us in any way. Other than that, Nani, thank you for co-hosting with me as always. It's, it's always great to have you. Yes. Thank you for having me. And Stacy. we don't play favorites here at the Tifa Project, but if we did, you would be one of our favorites. I think you know that, but just wanted to let you know in case you weren't sure. <laughs> no, no, thank you. I you know I don't even know how to love myself. I'm still learning that. And so yeah. when I hear it come up Filipinas, it really means a lot. So I love you. Thank you so much. Oh, Ditto. Okay. We love you back. Okay, well, I'm, let's take like five more minutes to tell Stacy how much we love her. No, I'm just kidding. No, but no, in, in all seriousness, like, thank you. You are you are doing incredible work in our community. I don't know why my camera's blurry all of a sudden. That's weird. I don't know why. Okay, whatever. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah, no, Stacy. again, thank you so much. We appreciate you and we hope to continue the conversation with you as the years go on. I hope that we continue to bring you back, you know, every year to really talk about your activism and what you're doing for our community and documenting our history and any other people, any other of your mentees, you know, that are joining you in this fight at the end of the day for all of us to look in the mirror and be okay with what we see and love what we see. So on that note, I want to thank you all for being on here again. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Happy Filipino American History Month. Remember to take the time to educate yourself, to listen to more episodes of our show if you want to learn more and vote. That is very important. It is coming up because this episode will be out like next Friday. So I can say that. With that said, thank you all so much for listening. And we look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. Bye-bye. Bye.